Good morning, church. It is good to see you this morning. Um, as you know, we are winding down 2015, and uh, at the end of the year, we, last week, we wrapped up our series about the life of Moses and the Israelites and, and their exodus from slavery to freedom. And uh, so we are facing a new year, 2016, right around the corner. I mean, man, 2015 went like that. It's crazy. I'm still writing 2014. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely crazy. You know, um, for those, if you're new here, um, it, is, it is my desire that, that uh, you feel like you're part of, of the family. I know that it can be challenging sometimes to break into a new church, or maybe you don't normally go to church. It can freak you out a little bit. I'm a pastor, and when I visit another church, I get freaked out. It's just the way that it is, I understand. So uh, after this service, please uh, introduce yourself to me. I would, I'd be happy uh, to get to know you. And um, one thing that we do every now and then, so that you know, is, is I give a, a mission update. And uh, normally I do that before the service, separate from the message. But this morning they kind of fit together. And so this sermon will be about seven or eight minutes longer than it usually is. So hang in there. I hope you had your coffee, Red Bull, whatever it is. Take vigorous notes, okay? You know... As we face uh, 2016, um, it dawns on me that this is actually a, a significant time in the life of our church. It really is. I've been here for almost four years, and I've watched uh, different things happening and, and developing, and it seems like recently certain things have, have lined up, and it's a critical time, I think, for all of us as a church family to grow in our love for Jesus, to grow in our love for each other, to grow in our love for our community, for the people around us, to move our, our commitment as a church to a new level this year, to remember that, that love is not so much about our own fuzzy feelings as it is about a commitment to someone else other than ourselves. And you know what I've discovered is that often it includes letting go of our own personal agenda. That's just the way it goes. Now, we all know, we, every single one of us knows deep down that there has to be more to life than constantly chasing our own security and comfort. And yet, that's what we are constantly doing, right? But we know that there's more to life than that. We still chase it, even though we're constantly being let down. And then this nagging suspicion kind of grows and haunts us that our self-promotion and our self-preservation can never lead us to true joy and significance and safety. And we find ourselves still empty. And our pursuit of freedom ironically leads to more slavery. See, the scriptures teach us that, that the key to what we're really, that we're all really looking for is to die to self, to love God and to love others with commitment. So how does that happen? How does that become more than just, you know, kind of a nice sentiment or a good idea? And what might that look like in 2016? Well, to begin with, first, we need to just acknowledge, you know, maybe we know, but I mean, point out put a spotlight on that it is our creator that has called us to love him, to love each other, and to love our neighborhoods and our city. I mean, that's exactly why he created us in the first place. The question is, are we preoccupied with that? The reason why we were created in the first place. See, God has called us to share the good news of Jesus' grace in both word and deed with the people that God has placed around us. This is why we say here, I mean, when we think about what we're all about, we've tried to boil it down to that the, the truth that Infusion Church exists to lead people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. You've heard us say that over and over again because we want to kind of have a laser focus on, on what it is that, that we're about. It keeps us from winding up in the, in the weeds and becoming, I don't know, about something else in, entirely. In 2015, 
Uh, and this is the, the, the mission update uh, as far as how we're doing with this, this last year and what, how things are shaping up in 2016. In 2015, we continued to make the best with what we had. Amen? God provided in encouraging ways to empower us in that. Even though we continued to face challenges, we saw some encouraging progress. Progress, I think, that gives us a glimpse into uh, what next year is going to look like and how things are are shaping up. And let me just, I'm telling you, a lot of this stuff is so recent. I mean, I woke up at 2.30 this morning thinking about it, and I never got back to sleep. I am functioning on multiple cans of Red Bull right now. All right? So there's no telling what I might say, (laughs) and I might not even remember being up here later. Here's the thing. We have more and more new people uh, showing up um, and and checking out at the church and more and more people getting involved in a crowded house and DNA groups, our home groups, our discipleship groups. That means more people are discipling and being discipled now than any other time in recent history. I mean, it's absolutely amazing to see. And going into the new year, we have more leaders and more potential leaders than ever before. In fact, Tom Levine, who was up here and and read the scriptures with that awesome radio voice that he has. Man, what a golden voice. He he was like one of the main leaders at K-Praise Radio for many years. And he's hanging out with us, plebs. So it's good to have him hanging out. And guess what? He loves our church. He's committed to our church. And recently, he's determined, and, and we talked about this for a while. I mean, he's, he's had many experience in leading crowded houses, home groups, and, and, uh, and, and kind of figuring out this kind of ministry to make it healthy. And, and he's going to spend this year, 2016, to help improve our crowded houses across the board. I mean, it's, he, he's providing healthy structures that produce healthier disciples, regular training to support leaders, and better communication about it all. And he is willing to generously sacrifice a lot of time to make that happen. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. Also, more and more people are expressing, coming up to me and the other elders saying, I just want to serve. I want to help. In any way I can, how can I be a part of what's going on here? Because it seems like, like people are really excited and believe in, in this mission that God has given to us. And you know what? I thank God for all the people who are saying that they want to help because we need all the help we can get. We really do. Because we're not just playing church. I mean, there is so much more to church when it's all about making disciples, leading people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. At the same time, God recently sent to us an amazing couple, Joe and Nancy John. You probably met them on the way in. They were the one that like, made you feel welcome. And, and uh, you can't miss Joe. He's got this bald head and giant muscles and <laughs> tattoos and stuff. We get more guys like him, our, our new t-shirts are going to say, our church can beat up your church. <laughs> All right? They showed up on Picnic Sunday, and they've been serving and encouraging ever since. And they've been a source of encouragement to me personally. They love Infusion Church, and, and man, they are on fire. You can tell that first two seconds talking to them. They've been serving from day one. Now, Joe... He has over two decades of helping people find their role in the mission, whether it be in the military or or church life as a pastor or or as a sheriff. I mean, we haven't haven't done so well as a church yet. We're still young in organizing new teams made up of new people with unique gifts to maximize, I think, our effectiveness and the health when it comes to our our mission and, and... Joe wants to help change all that. I mean, he's going to be generously sacrificing a lot of his time to serve and lead in in this way. And you're going to get to know him and his amazing wife, Nancy, um, more than ever here within the next few months. And then there's Brock. You all know Brock? He did our call to worship this morning. Be praying for his wife. She's still very, very sick. But uh, he has sacrificed a lot. 
Um, he's going to seminary, and you know what he just did? He just reduced his seminary load so that he can donate more time to the church. I mean, that's incredible. He's, and he's helping to oversee a process that will help new pathway, new, new people find new pathways to get connected, to provide kind of, a, kind of a map to help people figure out what's next, and he will be generously sacrificing a lot of time to make that happen. And then there is this brand spanking new couple named Ming and Michelle. They're sitting right over there. Wave at everybody. There you go. They, they are here all the way from New Jersey. New Jersey. Apparently God sent them here because God saw that I needed Ming in my life to help me not go insane. I'm convinced of that right now. We have all kinds of potential for 2016. It kind of freaks me out because there's so many moving parts, and he has a gift to see all those moving parts and see how they fit together and how they work together. And so he's been helping me and, and generously sacrificing a lot of time to make it all happen. And, and in addition to all that, uh, I, didn't, I can't believe I didn't add it, add it here, but, but we've had another handful of of, of guys step up and say, you know, as we talk, that God might be leading them to be an elder here at Infusion Church. We have a new crop of, of uh, elder candidates on the horizon. I mean, that's, that just doesn't happen very often in a, in a little church like this. Something, God is up to something. Oh, man, it's exciting. The last thing I'll mention is this. The last thing I'll mention in our mission update is this. And it's Josh, Cass, and Vicki Daniels. You guys know them, right? Josh does not just do music and rock an awesome beard. He does a lot more than that. A lot more than that. I mean, a million other things that no one knows anything about. And Vicki does not just do finances. She does a million other things that no one knows anything about, like keeping me out of jail for one. That's a, that's a ministry. She says it hasn't been easy. They both have been working overtime for part-time pay. Before I got here, their, their, before I got here, their salaries got slashed, and they continued to serve with good attitudes at, the, at a reduced rate for years. They gave us time to turn things around financially, and they had the best attitudes. They were willing to serve at a reduced rate. Well, all that's changing now because they both decided to leave. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Oh, no. <laughs> we, we know that it's, it's far overdue for having their salaries restored, and we're trusting God that, that, that he will move in the hearts of our, our people like he has um, over the last four years, we've seen a trend like this, and now for the first time, it looks like we're in a position to restore their salaries, finally. But I need your help. Yes, I need you, I need you to have that enthusiasm for this, because they set the pace for the rest of us when it comes to sacrifice. I mean, I'm telling you, both of them could go somewhere else and get twice what they're getting paid here. That's how much they believe in this family and what they're doing here. So I want to encourage you, I mean, as you look ahead in 2016, how can you help make this right? I really do need your help. So <laughs> things are happening. It's obvious. We're growing. We're maturing. God is up to something. And you know what? This, none of this can happen. None of this can happen by just going to church by just showing up and punching your card every now and then or even every week. It requires a commitment to work with each other through good times and tough times, a sacrifice from everybody, knowing that it is worth it because Jesus is worthy. Amen? Hey, that, there's no telling. I don't know. I'm going to review the tape in a year, okay? And we'll see what God does, and we're going to celebrate God and his grace and all the things that he's going to do. If we are going to live this out, though, we have to wrestle with this question. And the question is, what will it take for us to, 
to fulfill our mission for the next year, to, be, to continue to be this kind of, kind of church. And in a word, it comes down, practically speaking, it comes down to generosity. It comes down to being generous. We must continue to grow as down-to-earth, compassionate, a family of faith that is actually living generous lives throughout the week together. people who are generous with our resources, our time, and our ability, and, a, and, our mon- and our money because we believe in the church that Jesus established, not just to go through religious motions. It's not worth it if we're just going through religious motions. God's given us a mission. Actually, God's given his mission the church. A church that puts our sacrifice where our mouth is, where we say that our heart is. A lifestyle of generosity that we live every single day. And you don't even have to be rich. You know how I know this? Because I know a lot of you are broke. You are. And many of you are still setting the pace for everybody else when it comes to generosity. Why? Because you all figured out that it's about dying to self to find the life that you need. To find the life that you really long for. To make sure that we as a church never stop striving to be a sacrificial, generous people. And that it is grace that inspires us and not guilt. We have no time for that here. That just sucks the life out of everybody. Crushes us. What God calls us to is always life-giving. Now... Just to transition here a little bit, our our text this morning talks about sacrificing something that we all cherish, and that's our money. You don't, everybody knows that money is an idol in our, you know, American culture. It is the true American idol. And as more and more people struggle financially, this issue has become more and more important, right? Now, okay. I know there are several types of people here this morning. For those of you who could be consistently generous if you really wanted to, but aren't, I don't want you to think that you're just supposed to throw money at your guilt. Okay? Doesn't work that way. I'm not interested in that. No one, God's not interested in that. In fact, you can't. You have to start by looking at your relationship with Jesus. Is he real to you? Is his sacrifice for you real to you? Then how will you live? For those of you who want to be consistently generous, but you're just in a major financial hole, it is not my desire to make you feel guilty. I want you to feel the freedom here. Because we're a community of grace, I want you to feel the freedom here to ask for help. Okay? That's why we're here. And for those of you who are consistently generous, I hope that this is a reminder for you that you are not crazy. You are not crazy to give so generously. It's worth it to live this way. And if you're new here, you just realize you picked the wrong Sunday to show up, right? <laughs> no. Listen, we are not after your money. If you're new here, I mean, we're glad that you're here. And it's my hope that you see that for us as a church family, we just want to keep growing in generosity to bless others, including you. So hang in there with me as we, as we look at this. Let's start with the why. Why should we grow in generosity? Well, one reason is that it encourages others. It especially encourages people who are in trouble. In verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, It was kind of you to share in my trouble. Another translation says, It was good for you to share in my trouble. Here's the thing. He was in major trouble. He was locked up and he was on death row. But the Philippian church, they had their trouble too. They were under severe persecution, and with that severe persecution always comes severe poverty. And in their poverty, they took an offering for the ministry, and Paul was just blown away and encouraged. Paul Paul says, this is good of you. Why? Because when you give sacrificially out of love, there's something about it that makes Christ's sacrifice and love for you more real. 
Now, I'm just getting a little personal here. Most of you know that, that uh, my wife, Shannon, had a stroke back in February, right? And as a result, this really has been the most challenging year a family has ever faced. But also, one of the most blessed. I am not blowing smoke. I'm not trying to come up with something sentimental to say because I have to do a sermon or whatever. I'm telling you, even though it's been a tough year, it has been a blessed year. We've been absolutely amazed by how the, peop- how, how the people that we have been serving made it a point to serve us. And beyond just finances. And I need to tell you, you all made it possible for us to hang in there this last year through some really difficult times. You've been family to us. And you know what? I know I say it all the time. But I cannot put into words, I cannot describe how much I love my church family. I, can't, I cannot describe how much I love you all, how much I appreciate you all. You have encouraged me. And here's what else is encouraging. We were not only helped by people who were well off. We were also helped by people who had their own struggles. And they, like, refused to let their challenges stop them. I mean, they got creative, and you know what? We noticed, and we were encouraged. And here's what else. Your generosity encourages other people to be generous as well. Paul says in another letter, a letter to the, to the Corinthians, He says, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, Paul wasn't even going to ask the Philippians to help the ministry financially because he knew that they all were in such bad shape with the persecution and the poverty. But Paul says, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of giving. That is something you don't see every day. I mean, if I got up here and I said, all right, we have all the money we need. Don't give anything more. I mean, people would be like, yes. (laughs) All right. They encouraged, they were, they they pleaded with Paul for the privilege of giving. And then they encouraged the Corinthians to be generous too. Secondly, we should grow in generosity because it's an investment in eternity. In verse 17, Paul says this. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul is using banking terminology to describe our investment in eternity. When things get tough financially, and I think most people have been through some financially difficult times, you know what that does? It reminds us that our material things can just slip through our fingers and blow away. I mean, so easily. You could be totally fine, and then within a matter of months, you're wondering how you're going to pay rent or the mortgage or food's going to come from. Paul says to Timothy in 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 another letter, he says, Tell the rich to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. And by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure in heaven. Now, he's not saying that by giving in this life, we earn bigger mansions in the next life or better toys or whatever. No, nothing's going to be more valuable to us than being with Jesus what, God, what Paul is saying is that being generous is the only safe investment for eternity. I mean, we get all excited if we think that, you know, we found an investment that's going to give us like a 5% return. Big deal. Big deal. 
Paul's saying being generous, you know, when it comes to the kingdom of God and the gospel is the only safe investment for eternity. See, we usually invest things that wear out or leave us empty or get repossessed, right? There are only two things that last forever, and that is God's word and the souls of people. Invest in that. That's eternal. Third, and most importantly, we should grow in generosity because it worships God. In verse 18, we read this. It says, uh, Paul says, I have received full payment, and more I am well supplied, having received the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, I don't think that we get this. I don't think we fully get this. Most people view giving as a tax they'd like to get out of. Hoping there's some kind of creative loophole or something. I mean, that's the attitude a lot of times. But giving is an act of worship that we're privileged to participate in. And the question that we need to ask ourselves, do I view giving as a tax and I'm kind of grumbling about that I don't even want to talk about or hear about? Or, do I, or is it something that fires me up because it is an act of worship? You know, about 100 years ago, Scottish Presbyterians were on fire for God and they planted churches and they, all over the place, especially... Um, all throughout Ghana in Africa. And with good intentions, they kind of imposed their extremely formal culture on the people. And it was kind of like they said, if you want to worship God, you have to worship him our way with this high church liturgy. Now, don't get me wrong, liturgy and ceremony can be a good thing, a good lesson, but they kind of made it a required deal for the people they were ministering to and reaching in Ghana. And you know what happened? There, I mean, the people in Ghana kind of went with it for a while, but there came a point when the people of Ghana could not hold back their expression of gratitude and worship any longer. And do you know where that expression finally broke through in their services? It's when they would worship the Lord with their tithes and offerings. They could not keep from dancing and singing as they came up to give their gifts one by one. That kind of thing totally freaks out Presbyterians. I know, because I was Presbyterian for most of my life. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, literally a hilarious giver, because we're overwhelmed with amazing joy. One of the missionaries wrote that the only time during the service they couldn't hold back their smiles any longer was when it came time to worship God with their tithes and offerings. And you know what? God smiles too. You know why? Because it has nothing to do with guilt trips or manipulation or even trying to earn some kind of a lame kickback from God. Because if it's a response of gratitude for God's love and his generosity and his grace, it becomes this, our giving becomes this fragrant offering that is acceptable and pleasing. It's a time that we can reflect on, on God's generosity to us and then we're just compelled to worship him. That's what it's supposed to be like. And then last in the section, we should grow in generosity because it shows us that God will meet our needs. And verse 19 says this, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. There are two false ideas regarding money that are popular. One is that God wants everybody to be rich, and the other is that God wants everybody to be poor. Both are wrong, right? And you're like, I'm pretty sure God wants me to be poor because <laughs> I'm poor, you know? God simply promises to take care of his kids. If you're a child of God, you can count on it. We have a God that makes promises and keeps his promises. He has a track record of that. And you experience God meeting all of your needs when you are generous. Because 
when we're generous, that's when we remember that God is already providing all of our needs because when we give, we, get out, we give out of gratitude, right? And if we're filled with gratitude, you know what? We're not just as demanding or spoiled or stingy. Our hearts are filled with gratitude and we become generous. God's grace is more than enough and it becomes a blessing to live this life of generosity. I mean... It just becomes the fruit of God's grace in your life. So, there you have it. Four good reasons to be generous. It'd be really easy and tempting to just say, now go and do it. Right? But there's no power here yet. So we've got to dig a little deeper to, to see the power that we need for lives of generosity. As you, we have to evaluate how our lives are going. How are we doing when it comes to this? So maybe I should jump to the next question. The question is this. When we're not growing in generosity, why aren't we? Why aren't we growing in generosity? For most people, not, not all people, the short answer is this. We love our money. Now, there are generous people who don't have any money, but they still find ways to be generous. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about people who could be generous but aren't. Usually it's because of a love of money. Now, whenever I talk about a generosity, I bring up this passage from Hebrews. I found it few years ago, and it jumped out at me because it was so weird. And uh, so hopefully it helps uh, you to remember what it is that we're talking about. Let me show you how weird this is. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. How in the world did he go from one subject right to the next subject in the very next sentence? Why are those two things put together like that? Why does God combine sex and money? Well, in our culture, our culture wants to have sex with anyone, but you know, when it comes to our money, that's cherished, that's for ourselves when we don't share it. Right? In our culture, we're, we're promiscuous with sex, but we're completely devoted to our money. But here God calls us to reverse that. Here God says, don't share sex with just anyone. It's reserved for a husband and a wife. But be promiscuous with your money. Share that with everyone. I mean, that kind of adds perspective, doesn't it? So how do I know if I love money, if I'm evaluating my heart? Well, I know that I love money if I spend my money on myself first and usually only on myself. Or, I, or my family, which is really code for myself. But we use family so no one can argue with us. That happens a lot. Moving on. Or... I worry about money, hoard it, and never let go of it. You know what that means? That means that the wasteful spender and the stingy tightwad both love money. It just looks different. Why? Why do we love money? Because of what we think it can get us. It's the God that's going to give us the stability that we think we need. It's the God that's going to give us the comfort that we think we need. It's the God that's going to give us the approval we think we need. It's the God that's going to give us the respect that we need. It's the God that's going to give us the control that we need. It's the God that's going to give us the security that we need. Now, I know personally that I need to repent of my worry over money on a regular basis. I know. And I do repent sometimes. Not as often as I should. And I need to grow in that. So, again, getting personal, 
uh, this last year with the increase of medical costs, our plan given suffered. I mean, that was something that's traditionally, historically been something very important to us. So this was an especially difficult time. We had, we were forced to be creative in our generosity, and a lot of it was spontaneous. And Shannon is so good at thinking of creative ways to be generous. She helped me so much. And now, I mean, as we're approaching um, this a transition with some new help and, and uh, a new year and things kind of evening out a little bit, relatively speaking, we're, we're getting back on track with our planned giving. And you know what? It definitely requires more cuts in our spending and family budget and a lot of prayer. That's just, I, I'm telling you because I need you guys to hold me accountable to that, okay? Because I know it's easy to say, oh, man, you know what? Just can't. We want to look for ways that we can. We're, we're dedicating ourselves to, the, to that, and we're going to need you to pray for us. And I want that for, for all of us. I don't want to just say, you know, you all should be doing this. We, together, need to be doing this. The truth is we constantly look for good things like money to save us, to give us life, security, comfort, to be our idol. But what's it look like when, when we are set free from this slavery to money, this idol? In the Old Testament, the basic guideline for giving was the tithe, 10% of the gross income, and it was given to support the Levites who ministered to the poor. And in the New Testament, God's people were given far beyond that. They weren't haggling over, is that 10% of the net or 10% of the gross? I mean, they were just blowing the doors off. They were just absolutely, they, they never, that thought never even passed through their minds. They were just extremely generous. And you know what happened? You know what happened when they, with that kind of generosity? Acts chapter 5 says that there were no more needy people among them. It just didn't become, it wasn't an issue anymore. And they were reducing they, were eliminate, they eliminated poverty in the church, and the poverty was being reduced around the church because they were this center of generosity. And you know what? There are still people like this. And a lot of times there are people in the church who are struggling the most financially. You know, recently, just a few months ago, okay, there was a family that needed help. They needed some financial, a family in our church that needed some financial help. Young, young family. And our church happened to be in a place where we could help them significantly financially. Later, when they got on their feet, just last week, last week, they made a generous financial gift and asked us to use it to help the next person in need. They didn't have to do that. We don't loan money here. All right? We give away money here. It wasn't a loan to them. But that's how they, how they responded. And when you think about it, it makes sense, right? It makes sense. And you know why we were in a position in 2015 to be able to help them and many others this year? It's because there was another young family who did not have much at all who came into some money from some family and made a significant donation. And here's the deal. Most people, as their, in, as their income increases, so does their standard of living and the size of their condo or house or whatever. Right? It's very, very rare to find somebody who says, okay, well, how much do I want to give? And let that determine, you know, there's nothing wrong with big houses. No, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. That's awesome. It's great. But the thing is, I think if, if you get generosity, you're thinking, how much do I want to give this year? And then let that determine what kind of house you live on or what kind of cars you buy. See, do you see how... In God's kingdom is totally upside down from the world? It's just totally upside down. 
Some people, as they make more, they give more. And it's so inspiring to see when it happens. So the breakdown, the, the barricade to generosity is slavery to the love of money. So how can we be set free then? in order to grow in generosity? How, how can we have a heart like these people that I've been talking, uh, talking about? Well, by knowing the generosity of God, okay? That's, why Paul, that's what Paul's saying here. Look again at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul's main purpose is not to separate us from our money. That's not his, his goal here. He wants us to focus on Jesus. And the way that we're going to experience love and joy and peace, no matter how bad the circumstances, no matter how messed up our relationships, no matter how strong our cravings, the way that we're going to get through all that and grow in generosity and everything else spiritually is by looking at all of life through the lens of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. That changes everything. And when we do that, we become overwhelmed by the generosity of God. <laughs> you can see the generosity in God in the most famous verse of all time that we looked at last week. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and you can hear a verse like that in the middle of a sermon about generosity and think, you know what? That's not a verse that tells us how we should view money. No, it's a verse that tells us how we should view everything, including money. God's generosity is the central message of the Bible. You go back to Genesis and you see Adam and Eve. They had absolutely everything that they wanted or needed, but it wasn't enough. So they blew off God, rejected him and his grace, and the result was separation from God. The result was death and all of the problems that we have today. But instead of wiping us out right then and there, God makes a promise of grace to send us a deliverer who would suffer to free us from sin and to free us from death and to free us from judgment. And then when our deliverer shows up, when Jesus shows up, he lives the life that Adam and Eve should have lived. He lives the life you and I should have lived. And then he died the death that we should have died. So instead of God's judgment, a judgment we deserve, we receive God's blessing, life eternal, a blessing that we could never, ever, ever earn. Paul says this about Jesus. He says that though he were poor, or excuse me, though Jesus was rich, rather, though Jesus was rich, for your sakes, for your sakes, he became poor. Now, now, if I'm going to seriously apply everything that I'm saying to myself and not just run off at the mouth, if I'm going to hold on to it and pray, God, show me what it is that you have for me, I need to face the difficult reality that I fail miserably. I mean, compared to Jesus, I fail miserably. It's just something that we just need to be honest. Grace enables us to be honest about our sin and about our failures. None of us give regularly and generously with a pure heart 100% of the time. But you know what? There is one who does. And he generously gave all he had, perfectly, completely, and with pure motives. He left heaven's riches and came to earth as a servant to give it all away for us. And it's through faith in him that our sin of love and money is forgiven. And we get credit for his perfect, we get credit for his perfect life of generosity. You know what that means? That means that God sees you as perfectly generous. And now he says to us, be who you already are in Christ. Be who you already are in Christ. I'll close with this question. And it's a question of application. How do we apply it? Once we see how generous God has been to us, how can we live starting today right here in response to that? You know what? It's by determining right here, right now, that we are going to live generous lives and we start giving. 
and realizing God's just, he's, he's not just after your money. He wants your heart. If this is the kind of thing that frustrates you, just, it just means he doesn't have your heart yet. Otherwise, you'd be stoked and fired up. Here's what I've realized in my experience. In my experience, God is not desperate for me to give. I am desperate for me to give. I am desperate for me to give because it brings me face to face with my, my heart problem that I still need to know the generosity of Christ. So this morning, what we do, and, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, is we meditate on Jesus' generosity to us, and then we give, and we give, and we give, and we plan for it, and we budget for it, and we're consistent with it. And you can start today. And there are so many ways to give. You give of yourself by joining a crowded house and, and bringing your gifts and, and your personality and everything that God has given you, and you bless others. You show up not going, what am I going to get out of this? But you show up, how can I bless other people? You know what? Then you start serving. You start serving your neighbors. You start serving your community. You, you, You serve on a ministry team here. You pray for your neighbors. You serve them. You you make them feel welcome, welcome here because, again, it just freaks people out to show up to a new church. I'm telling you, it's not without risk, okay? You cannot manage the risk away. You just can't do it. But it's all worth it. So, you know, if you're here and you're not a, a Christian, again, we don't want your money. This is something that God calls Christians to do, okay? And if you are a Christian, you are not going to find a better reason to be generous than knowing that Christ has been generous and continues to be generous to you. So now we can live it. And if you don't know how to swing this practically, pray that God helps you be creative. But also, I want to make sure that you feel the freedom to ask us for help. Maybe you're someone who needs to receive generosity from your church. That's why I'm speaking on this, right? That's why this is what your church family is for. So bottom line, when you give, you, it's a spiritual discipline, and you're saying to your money, I don't ultimately need you. Jesus is my power. Jesus is my approval. Jesus is my security. Jesus is my comfort. Jesus says... Of, of his family, you are a city set on a hill. Let your light shine in such a way that people may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for being sacrificially generous to us in the most ultimate way beyond what anybody could ever imagine. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you gave your one and only Son to live for us and to be generous for us and then to take our judgment so that we could just bask in your grace and commune with you and then also commune with one another by just living generous lives just out of sheer appreciation. God, I pray, Lord, that you would turn our priorities upside down, that they would be upside down from the world's priorities, that you would... uh, Enable us to live in such a way that, that the world would look at it and say, what a bunch of fools. God, give us the courage to be fools. Give us the heart to just be overwhelmed 
by your love and generosity so that we can just without any hesitation or inhibitions express our love back to you and appreciation for you. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would love you and, and our neighbors as, as you've called us to um, in very real, tangible ways beyond just thinking about it or thinking nice thoughts about it. But God, I pray that by your spirit, you would lead, that, that you would lead each of us um, to the next step that you have for us when it comes to growing in generosity for your glory. God, I pray that you protect our hearts from guilt and manipulation, that there would not be a trace of it. Pray that you would root that nonsense out of our hearts. I make sure that, that you would guard our church against that. God, help us to see that, that your kingdom is is more real than we've ever imagined so far. Give us eyes to see it. We acknowledge that in your kingdom, Christ is king. Enable us to be loyal to him with all that we have for your purposes and your glory. Father, I pray if there's anybody here that is not trusted you yet who has not put their faith in you to follow follow you to trust Jesus as their king and their deliverer I pray that this morning they would see how generous you are and give them eyes to see and enable them to put their faith and trust in you this morning they know that they were created to live for something bigger than they are more important than anything that they've seen so far. And so, God, I pray that you'd move them this morning to look to you and to follow you. Father, we pray these things in your name.